Do you hear that sound? That is the sound of the waves crashing against a bay. But not just any bay. It's a Baywatch, because this is a Baywatch podcast. In fact, this is Baywatch Rookie School, a podcast where two men who have never watched Baywatch before try and watch Baywatch. I'm Michael Eisen. And I'm Morgan Thrapp. And Morgan is season two of Baywatch Rookie School. It sure is. And listeners, you may be hearing this and thinking, they must have some big changes in store for season two, right? Don't worry. We have not changed a single thing about this podcast since season one ended. We have not received any communication from any lawyers associated or not with Gregory Bonin. And as such, all we're really going to be doing is just giving our pure, unfiltered, you know, completely honest review of Baywatch episodes. There's been no threat of a defamation lawsuit, and so why would we even have to change anything, right, Michael? Exactly. You know, this is truly just, you know, one of the greatest episodes of television I've ever seen, which is why oh yeah, you're going to hear so much positive information about this episode. Yeah. Truly, I think NBC canceling the show after season one and allowing Gregory Bonin, an absolute genius, to buy back the rights to the show and sell it and produce it himself is possibly the best decision in the history of media. Sometimes I think about the formation of the United States of America, and then I think about NBC canceling Baywatch. And honestly, I think they're just the same level of validity in terms of great events in American history. Absolutely. And really just like a very comparable level of impact on really just the entire global ecosystem when you think about it. I think that instead of the Green New Deal, there should be the Green... the. I've already messed that up. The Bay New <laughs> Deal. <laughs> Wouldn't the Blue New Deal have been the way to go? What about the Red New Deal? <laughs> that sounds a little... Red scary. Wow. Um, yeah, it does actually. <laughs> anyways, let's talk about this episode. Mm-hmm. So, this episode was written by Michael Burke and Douglas Schwartz, two thirds of the creators of Baywatch, and it was directed by Gregory J. Bonin, the other third of the creators of Baywatch. So, all of our, wow, you know, genius, genius uh, writers and director here are helming this episode. And it was also aired on December 7th, 1991. Now, you're going to hear throughout this season weird dates. And that's the reason is because this one is actually supposed to be the first episode of the season. So you will see us traveling through time a bit, which honestly, if anything could help us travel through time, it's Baywatch. Uh, mm-hmm. So this was the first episode to be aired in syndication after NBC canceled the whole airing. Syndication means that multiple TV stations have the rights to a show. For example, different local stations can now have the rights to then air it rather than their parent company. So this was allowed to air on many, many stations. Honestly, genius idea in terms of getting tons of money for the show, in terms of more rights into airing the show, in terms of what ad deals they want and leading into the show, and creating international deals as well. Super interesting. Mm -hmm. Additionally, this is a two-parter, and these two episodes were put together, later released on video as Baywatch Nightmare Bay, and this is Nightmare Bay Part 1. 
first, let's talk about some of the visual changes between Season 1 and Season 2. So, first change is lifeguard uniforms at HQ are now white instead of gray. So, normally the lifeguards wear red leotards, but at the office, they wear white because it's before Labor Day. Uh, (laughs) I gotta say, it really... Just overall, the visual quality of this episode, just so much better than season one. And I think, really, it comes down to these, you know, little just genius design choices that Gregory Bonin himself personally made. And, you know, honestly, when Gregory Bonin was thinking about this, he clearly came up with the idea that, you know, gray is kind of sort of like a, well, it's really in the gray in terms of meaning, but white... represents the purity of the lifeguards. So now we truly know how heroic they are. Don't you agree? Oh, 100%. Um, Next thing is that the kitchen in Mitch's house is in a different spot because honestly, that kitchen was just kind of in a weird spot. You enter the door and there's the kitchen right there. They put a different spot. Better. Just better. Um, The visual quality is also a bit better. Uh, Just seems like it's better. That's it. Yeah. Let's talk about some characters. Uh, Mm Mm-hmm. Craig is not here because he's a piece of shit. Cord is mm-hmm. not here because he sucked. Sheena is not here because she's a Jezebel. Garner is not here <laughs> only because he's not in this episode. Garner is one of the greatest creations ever in history. Thank you, Gregory J. Bonham, for giving us the gift of Garner Ellaby. Mm-hmm. This episode also introduces to us a bunch of characters. So let's talk about them. First, we have Pamela Bach, who plays the role of Kay Morgan. Previously, she had been on maybe the second greatest show of all time, Knight Rider. And that's her main claim to fame before Baywatch. She is a recurring character. We will see her throughout the series, not every episode. Really? But we will see her up through, I think, season 10 every now and then. Uh, but I do have to say, Morgan, I did actually lie to you. Um, yeah. I do have to apologize for this. Um, and I don't know if you can forgive me. Do you think you can forgive me? I'm I'm sure I can find some room in my heart now that my heart has been expanded upwards of three to five sizes by the wonderful creative work of Gregory J. Bonin. I agree. I mean, I have now more open heart to accept anyone, and that's why I'm willing to admit this lie to you, uh, that her name actually isn't Pamela Bach, or at least it wasn't. Oh. Uh, her name was Pamela Bach Hasselhoff, because this is David Hasselhoff's wife. At the time of filming as well? Between 1989 and 2006. Oh, wow. Yeah, so this is Pamela Bach's wife, and that way, that's why they have such sexual chemistry on screen with each other. It's because mm-hmm. they actually had sex. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, and they had two kids together. Though uh, one has custody of one child, and another one has custody of a different child. But that's not due to Gregory J. Bonin. Uh, Gregory J. Bonin would never let that happen. But, you know, sometimes, no, of not. sometimes other people get in the way. Next up is Richard Jekyll. And he plays Ben Edwards. He's been acting since 1943. He's received a Best Supporting Actor Oscar nomination for his role in 1971's Sometimes a Great Notion. And honestly, he's been in just too many things to name TV shows and movies-wise. But Morgan, you may better know him for a different role. Oh? Do you know what role? I cannot say that I do. Uh, you may know him for his role as Al Gibson in the Baywatch pilot movie. Oh, 
I thought he looked familiar. Yes, good old Al is back, but he's not playing Al. Uh, no. We mentioned very early on in the show, by which I mean in the our pilot episode, uh, that Al would come back, just not as Al. And this is Ben Edwards. Um, honestly, a great acting, a great casting choice by Gregory J. Bonin. So good of a casting choice that this is the last role that Richard Jekyll would ever have in acting um, before really? his death. Yeah, it was just oh. so good he didn't need to do anything else. Yeah, uh, yeah, I can I can really give just major congratulations to Gregory J. Bonin on you know ditching all the dead weight from season one, all the all the casting mistakes clearly brought on as mm. studio notes by NBC. Of course, really just. Just jam-packing season two full of excellent, excellent actors. Agreed. Next up, we have a very excellent actor, Tom McTeague. He joins the cast as Harvey Miller. Main cast, because he's in the opening credits. Uh, Besides Baywatch, he didn't really do much, because who really needs to do anything besides act on Baywatch? Uh, Yeah, once, once you've peaked, why would you bother continuing to work like i'm sure all of them are just living incredibly richly off of the royalties from this show exactly right and that's why he had the time to take roles and you know pointless things like the movie boyhood where he he played a minor role as a teacher in boyhood but it's like why would you need to take a major role you already were in baywatch like exactly exactly next up is jeremy jackson he's our new hobie uh brandon call the old hobie went on to the show step by step that piece of trash. Uh, mm-hmm. That show starred Patrick Duffy and Suzanne Summers. His character was J.T. Lambert, uh, and I quote, a slacker jock who is into the Packers and has dyslexia. Doesn't sound like nearly as good of a character as Hobie. Honestly, it actually does not. Um, <laughs> um, but he was on that show for a few seasons. Now, let's talk about this specific episode's cast. First up, we have Andrea Thompson, who plays Devin Connor, a lifeguard at Baywatch, who is also uh, revealed to be a marine biologist. So she, like almost every other person on this show, was on Falcon Crest. She was on 19 episodes of Falcon Crest. Multiple people were on the show Falcon Crest. In fact, I did a search comparison to IMDb of people who were on Baywatch and Falcon Crest, and they share 86 actors. So, wow. Lots of people. Not as much as so, the show Silk Stockings, though, which has 130 shared actors. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> so if we ever decide we need a spinoff podcast, we've got two pretty solid shows. Not as good as Baywatch, obviously, because they're not run by Gregory J. Bonin. Right. But it's good to know that, you know, we can we can expand our media empire here. Of course, of course. Or we could do the other Gregory J. Bonin show, of which I do not know the name of, because why would I need to know? This is the greatest work ever. Um, exactly. But Andrea Thompson was also a main character in some other shows you may have heard of, such as Babylon 5 and NYPD Blue. Uh, oh. Main, main character. Um, but both a bit of time after this, so thus the Baywatch bump strikes again. You know, everybody, after they get on Baywatch, they just go on to do these, like, really high-paying things if they weren't already, you know, high-paid actors. Because Baywatch is such a quality show that everyone is like, oh, my God, I see their potential. I see how good they were on Baywatch. Now I can 
I can actually cast them. So Baywatch, you can thank Baywatch for basically all of Hollywood. Uh, yeah. But she is only in the show for this two-parter. So oh. say goodbye to Devin Connor just as soon as he said hello. <laughs> also say hello to Wesley Johnson, who plays Jordan uh, in this episode. He is a main character in the show What I Like About You with Amanda Bynes. Also City Guys. Also oh. the Soul Man. He's... Uh, He's one of the bigger actors, I guess, in this, uh, necess- you know, technically. Next up, we have Francois Chow, a Cambodian-born Chinese and Vietnamese actor who plays Tadashi, a Japanese character. Uh, you know, he's a great actor, uh, and I have seen him in some great things. Next up, we have Kelly Garrison. Um, and Kelly Garrison plays Linda Harrelson. Now, mind you, I should add... Uh, that we are, I am naming some characters who will be in part two, but I don't want to do this again later uh, because I want to have more time to talk about Baywatch, the greatest show ever. So Kelly Garrison plays Linda Harrelson. Kelly Garrison is a gymnast. She competed in the 1988 Summer Olympics in gymnastics, but scored fourth. She's also in the 83, 85, and 87 World Artistic Gymnastic Champions. But I want to read to you an interesting fact from Wikipedia. Garrison was involved in a controversy involving a rarely used rule that meant the difference between third and fourth place for the United States at the Olympics. During her uneven bars routine, the compulsory round of the competition, the team alternate, Rhonda Fain, pulled the springboard away from Garrison after Garrison began a routine, then crouched beside it and remained on the podium until Garrison dismounted. At the time... Coaches and alternates were not allowed to stay on the podium when an athlete was performing a routine at the Olympics. Fame was caught by an East German judge, Ellen Berger, and the team was deducted five-tenths of a point, putting the Americans in fourth place behind the East Germans by three-tenths of a point. Without wow. the deduction, the United States would have won the bronze medal ahead of East Germany. This would have been the first Olympic gymnastic medals in team competition for a U.S. squad, men or women, and the first gymnastic medal of any kind on the women's side in a fully attended Olympic Games. Uh, wow. So really just kind of screwed over there. Um, yeah. Um, shocking. But then she went on to be an actor. And as you can tell from this episode of Baywatch, that was the better choice. Uh, oh, yeah. We also have lifeguard Jim Barnett, um, who is played by, who's played by Gregory Barnett. He'll appear here and there as one of the top lifeguards throughout the show. We've talked about him a few times before. And yeah, Morgan, that's everything I had to say as our lead up to the show. Um, do you want to take us into the episode? I would love nothing more than the opportunity to begin talking about this wonderful show. The first thing I obviously have to mention is we've got ourselves not just an incredible new theme song, but some truly amazing, incredible, just beautiful new opening titles. Oh, this is actually very interesting. You are hearing the theme song for the first time, uh, the I'll Be Ready song, mm-hmm. right? What did you think? Yeah, I thought it was fantastic. I think it's just yet another example of where Gregory J. Bonin's Vision had been compromised mm. by NBC, mm-hmm. and uh, really, you know, this was this was his chance to spread his wings and create what is probably the most perfect piece of fiction. I want to add to this that I think Gregory Bonin had a subtle genius here, which is if you speed up the intro song by two or four times, 
you can hair metal rock out to the piano section because uh, it just goes. It's amazing. I believe it. I will have to try that out on one of these future episodes. So once we get done with these new opening titles, uh, we get some nice, smooth, atmospheric music that really just sets us up with a nice little note of dramatic irony when compared to the title, which, as we know, is Nightmare Bay. Mm. Um, no, the show is a nightmare. That's what Morgan is saying. It's true. It's true. Really, this song just describes so perfectly how I feel about Baywatch, both this episode and the show in general. Just it's very it's very smooth. It's very beautiful. It's relaxing and it just makes me happy. I like Baywatching Baywatch. Mm hmm. And that's a guarantee. That's an Eminem guarantee. <laughs> <laughs> Mitch shows up to the lifeguard headquarters and him and Eddie have a little bit of playful banter where Eddie sprays him with a hose and Mitch is like, oh, man. And then Eddie is like, that's the wettest you're getting today. Mm. And Mitch is like, but what if I just leave instead? Um, And Eddie's like, it's too late. Thorpe's on the deck and he's already seen you. Um, So Mitch goes up to talk to Captain Thorpe. And they have a nice little conversation where Thorpe tries to convince Mitch that Mitch should take control of the headquarters after Thorpe becomes the new chief for all of L.A. I wasn't totally clear, but once he gets promoted. Yes. um, And I got to say, the background, like specifically the extras in this sequence and really just this whole episode, it feels so much more alive than season one. You know, you've got people with actual business kind of interacting in the background. Mm -hmm. It really just brings the show to life. I agree. I absolutely agree. I think they also cast people that maybe are just hotter. Yeah. Yeah. Which, you know, never hurts. No, it doesn't. But just to talk a little bit more about this promotion, Thorpe assures him it would be a hike in salary and increased responsibility within the department. And Mitch says that the only responsibility he wants is to make sure people don't die. What a great, great man. And let's not forget about the fact that, you know, multiple people may have passed away under the tutelage of Mitch Buchanan. But... But he did it all with a smile. That's what truly matters. Am I right? It's true. Really, really, Gregory J. Bonin is trying to teach us the lesson that if you try your best and you don't succeed, then just keep trying and it's it's all going to be okay. Right. So also, you know, as Morgan mentioned, Thorpe is going to become chief and Thorpe really does want Mitch to become the, the captain um, and Mitch says there's got to be someone else. He suggests Ben Edwards, uh, who Thorpe says he's past his prime and has never been a lieutenant. So how could he promote a captain, which is realistic? Why would you do that? Um, yeah. And Ben is apparently a legend. He saved five people the day the pier collapsed and crushed his leg. And Thorpe felt bad and offered him a switchboard position. And he rejected it because Ben is fucking metal as shit. It's right. True. Um, and 
we we stand a legend here on this podcast. We absolutely are. That's why this is called Baywatch Legend School. Anyways, mm-hmm. uh, Mitch also asked Thorpe if they're going to make a decision on which beach gets a scarab. Now, mm-hmm. a scarab is a jet boat. It's one of your classic, you know, what you think of when you think of a jet boat. That's what a scarab is. Uh, but Thorpe says it's going to go to Zuma. Now, uh, Baywatch is shot at Will Rogers State Beach. Uh, according to Google Maps, Will Rogers State Beach and Zuma are are 18 miles apart. Um, there's kind of like a curve in you know in the coast, and Zuma is on the left side of the curve, um, and Will Rogers State Beach is sort of on like a like a slope on the other side, on the right side of it. Um, so they are you know quite a distance apart there, 18 miles, but still drivable. Honestly, you know, fuck Zuma. Yeah, that's that segment. Just fuck Zuma. <laughs> yeah, it's true. I mean, really, it's it's such a shame that we don't get to see this beautiful scarab. But I have hopes for part two that uh, that Gregory J. Bonin will pull through and show us this beautiful jet boat. Honestly, you might be right. <laughs> I mean, historically, Baywatch has never set up a plot point and then failed to pay it off. So I don't see why... This would be an exception to that. Definitely not one that was hinted at. Nope. Never once. Never once. That's the name of our podcast. Baywatch. <laughs> Never once school. <laughs> yep. It's the, that's the new name for season two. <laughs> Never twice. <because> season <laughs> two. Yeah. Uh, speaking of boats, after this, Mitch goes on an epic kayak ride to go clear his mind while some just sweet, sweet music plays. Just real, you know, early 90s action rock. Yeah, Um, because he's an action man. It's true. Really, when you think about it, like, is there a difference between Baywatch and Rambo? I would argue that there isn't. Um, the only difference I'd say is probably that Rambo and Baywatch have different hairstyles, but otherwise it's the same. That's true. And, I mean, Hasselhoff is the slightly better actor there as well. Like, you know, let's just be honest. I I mean, we are being honest. I agree with that. Yeah. No, he is. Like, fuck Sly. Yeah. Fuck everything. Fuck Zuma. Fuck Sly. (laughs) I don't know what else I need to say fuck to, but you fuck. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, But he he finds someone in the water who's looking not so hot, and he heroically rescues her um, because she is floating in the water, not really conscious. After that, we cut to Shawnee. She's back in the headquarters doing some boxing training. Uh, when Eddie comes in and she accidentally punches him, they have a little discussion uh, where Shawnee reveals that her dad has been kind of spying on her and doesn't really approve of her being a lifeguard because he thinks she's just out there on display in her uniform. Mm. Yeah. And Eddie Eddie talks her down and says, no, 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 you're doing good work and your dad should be more accepting. I think this this plot point is quite fantastic on the part of Gregory J. Bonin because, well, also our, our, our writers, but mostly the director, Gregory J. Oh, yeah. Bonin, uh, because what it's 
it, in this scene, Shawnee talks about how her dad is part of the bourgeoisie. You know, he ventured off his tennis court, spied on her mm-hmm. from his Mercedes. They live in Brentwood, which is uh, where, like, Schwarzenegger lives. Um, it's just an A-list, you know, neighborhood that's literally one neighborhood over from Will Rogers Beach. But it is an A-class neighborhood. And Eddie is not. Eddie is just a punk from Philly. And, you know, mm-hmm. what really this episode exemplifies is the dichotomy of Shawnee being brought into the situation where now she's having to deal with the fact that she's so sheltered. And yeah. without Gregory J. Bonin, I don't think that as a concept would have been introduced into the American mainstream. Yeah, it's true. I mean, really, if there's one thing that you think of when you think of Baywatch, it's just rich, textured female characters with a just real big inner life. And uh, just really, you know, every everything they have is just on display when and it comes boobs. to their writing and inner life. <laughs> yes, and boobs. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Thank you, I mean, Gregory. <laughs> Thank you, Gregory J. Bonin, for introducing so many people to puberty. Mm-hmm. But you want to know what else he introduces us to? I would love nothing more. Social critiques. Yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> we get our first black people on the show besides Officer Garner Ellerby. At least black mm-hmm. people with any focus. First up, mm-hmm. we see little girl Tiana. And she is wearing the most 90s clothes because fashion never got better than it did in the 90s. Oh, boy. Uh, Her brother, Jordan, is graffitiing a lifeguard tower with some gang tags. We see Shawnee walking towards the tower. So they they run away and they go up on some rocks and they fight over a spray can. And Tiana falls off the rocks into the water. Now, this next part. It's just the pure genius of Gregory J. Bonin, because he also really loves comedy. Uh, And we get a very funny scene where they edit Jordan doing the same waving motion four times, but they zoom in closer (laughs) each time and play like a gong noise. And clearly Gregory J. Bonin is like, look, you need something to break up the seriousness here. So I'm going to show you this child in peril. Uh, but doing something really funny because he knows <laughs> he knows that he's probably just like a, you know, he's a big absurdism fan or some shit. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, when you think about it, it's really like it's on par with like Lucky's monologue from Waiting for Godot. Like it's it's all about just showing us, you know, showing us a reflection of life through repetition and through. Just really, you know, really getting to the crux of the human existence. Like, in this, like gospel in this music. You know, gospel yes. music use repetitive tones to bring you in closer to a trance to then, you know, pray to Jesus. Um, this scene allows us to pray to water Jesus. Mm-hmm. Poseidon, I think he's called. Yeah. Some some may also say his name is David Hasselhoff, as evidenced by the SpongeBob movie. <laughs> Anyways... Um. But yeah, once uh, once Jordan has managed to get Shawnee's attention, she goes over and starts beginning to rescue Tiana um, and sends Jordan off to go phone HQ or just find help in general, really. Um, and luckily, 
Mitch returns with his rescue just as Jordan runs up to him and some other lifeguards. Um, the other lifeguards take care of Linda, which the is the woman that Mitch... Other lifeguards, Morgan. Okay. Gregory J. Bonin would have some words with you because whenever you see Mikey Newman, Newman you call out Mikey Newman, Newman and you it's say true. Mikey Newman, Newman was mm-hmm. there in that scene and Mikey Newman, Newman was fucking there. <laughs> Mikey Newman's just has some, some major screen presence. It's true. I must have been distracted during this scene writing notes and, and missed his just captivating presence. Mickey New would be so pissed with you. But yeah, Mitch goes to go help Shawnee, and thankfully, Shawnee is able to pull Tiana out of the water and is giving her CPR on the way back to the shore and um, arrives back on the beach. And the CPR, we should add, is just much better than it was in season one. Oh, absolutely. This this time they're actually using some of the rules of CPR. Instead of, you know, kissing. And uh, this time they also got respirators, which, you know, they didn't have the budget for tech in Mm -hmm. the last season. Um, And now, you know, they got that extra 30 bucks to buy that tech. um, And they used that 30 bucks. (laughs) Oh, boy, did they. Every every single cent of that $30 is on screen in this episode. Let me tell you. Oh, yes. (laughs) Yeah. As as the other lifeguards are helping to revive Tiana, they, like you said, you know, they're actually using appropriate techniques and, and equipment. They're putting a respirator on her and um, yelling at her repeatedly to move her fingers if she's still alive. Um, and then eventually, thankfully, she is still alive and is able to briefly move her fingers. And then we get a nice... Uh, reassuring shot of all the lifeguards showing just how excited they are that they've pulled off another successful rescue. Good job, lifeguards, and good job, Gregory J. Bonin, for just helming these lifeguards. Mm-hmm. Yeah, really, truly, none of this would be possible without Gregory J. Bonin, and who knows what would have happened to those kids otherwise. Probably they would have defected to North Korea. Probably, probably. It's really the only thing that makes sense. That's I mean, the only uh, place in the world with no water, and so no lifeguards. True, true. Um, once we finish up with the rescue, Eddie and Shawnee have a sweet little scene where Eddie reassures Shawnee that, see, you're a really good lifeguard, don't listen to your dad, you're doing a good job. And then then we get our first montage of season two, and boy, is it a good montage, some real good, smooth, jazzy, rocky kind of music. Oh. Some nice, some nice big crowd shots, and Eddie and Shawnee just doing a bunch of, you know, their lifeguard duties. Well, Morgan, let me tell you, I got yeah an original song. Ooh, um, our first of season two. Yes, uh, this is a kind of a U two sounding song, and as everyone who knows me well knows, my number one of all time. No doubt, nothing better, the best band is U2. Morgan, mm-hmm. ask me a question about U2. Um, Michael, what, uh, what is your favorite U2 album? Uh, uh, um, 
<laughs> well, uh, it would probably be the one that sold under 100,000 copies uh, mm-hmm. because it's the one I did not listen to. Fair. Sorry, by that I meant Achtung Baby, the hit album that has the single one, absolutely the greatest song ever that I have not heard far too many times. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I could not find out who did this song, but I did transcribe the lyrics by hand, um, and I am going to read them to you. Uh, because, as you know, even though Gregory Bonin probably didn't write these lyrics, he is responsible for their existence, and for that I thank him. And you know what I say, Morgan? What do you say, Michael? Well, I treasured the days. We were fearless, unafraid. We would talk a big game, but it didn't end up that way. We were bold. We were brave. But somehow, we lost our way. I remembered you say we'd be legends one day, because all our lives we played it safe and it's overrated. Now, it's time to break the chains. Yeah, it's liberating. Let's get crazy. <laughs> Let's celebrate it. Yeah, we are wild and free. Let's go. No more waiting or hesitating to see who you could be. Let's go. We're wild and free. Let's go. No more waiting or hesitating to see who you could be. Let's go. We are wild and free. Let's go. No more waiting or hesitating to see who you could be. Let's uh, go. Thank you. You can't hear it, but Morgan is clapping. It's true. I will see if that ends up making it onto the recording or if it is unlistenable. Um, uh, we'll just do this bunch. <laughs> But yeah, no, I think uh, I think that is really just a, a beautiful song, both the original and the the version of the remaster really just, you know, captures what it feels like to watch Baywatch, you know. I really think it also captures what it's like to break your chains. And mm-hmm. by that, I mean figuratively and literally, mm-hmm. you know, because sometimes I feel like I played it safe when I handcuff myself to my figurative <laughs> anxiety uh, and to a literal pole. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I think what we're learning here is that uh, Gregory J. Bonin was um, incarcerated. Was he <laughs> no, no, I said I said was not should be right, right, um, right. <laughs> incarcerated because he's too good. Exactly, just allowing his genius to to reign free is is really just dangerous. I mean, who knows how many other just real mind opening ideas he has that the world just simply isn't ready for yet. Did you know that all of Quadrophenia was about Gregory J. Bonin? I didn't, but I gotta say it, it does make sense. Yeah. Yeah. That and Abbey Road. Mm-hmm. Well, that one, I mean, that one we all know, of course. Yeah. I mean, also Marvin Gaye's what's going on. Uh, unfortunately you had to cut it cause you know, they couldn't fit the whole title in, but it's what's going on Gregory J. Bonin. Mm-hmm. Um, and then like what's happening brother, my brother, Gregory J. Bonin, also another name of one of the songs on there. Um, mm-hmm. you know, Gregory has just been around if I may call him the Greg, the Greg has just been around everywhere and it's just kind of been a secret and Baywatch was his first chance to really just open up to the world of, hey, I'm here, you know? Yeah. 
a lot of a lot of people will say that, you know, Gregory J. Bonin is a mortal man and Gregory J. Bonin, you know, was a lifeguard and made these shows. But, you know, what what a lot of people aren't really willing to talk about is I I fully believe that Gregory J. Bonin may be some sort of, you know, just a mortal spirit made of of intelligence and kindness, bringing uh, bringing media to the universe, really, when you think about it. There's a line from Babe Ruth in the movie The Sandlot where he mm-hmm. says, heroes never die, but legends live forever. And Gregory J. Bonin is actually a hero and a legend. You see, he never dies and he lives forever. It's now, true. this is not vampiric. It's just that if you get so yeah. good at being you, you just can't die. Because God is like, I can't take your life. He's just too cool. Mm-hmm. Like Moses. Um, if you remember that story I told <laughs> in the Torah corner. Or, mm-hmm. sorry, I meant King David, where they had to throw a rock through his window. And then God was like, you're not cool now. But no one is willing to throw a rock through Gregory J. Bonin's figurative window because he's too cool also he knows what it's like from being around lifeguards to know that you just ignore rocks you only go for bodies in the water exactly exactly this made perfect sense you know what else makes perfect sense what michael morgan tell us about this next scene i would love to this next scene is linda uh being debriefed by one of the new lifeguards that you talked about in the intro, Michael, and that is Devin Connor. And she is just, you know, very, very kindly and very sweetly walking Linda through the experience of her, you know, being found trauma. down <laughs> in the uh, in the water. Yeah, you know, a little, little bit of trauma and having her immediately relive that after she almost died. But, you know, I'm, I'm sure it's in service of a good cause. Of course. Um, Linda's story is basically that um, she went with some guy on a boat um, because he promised her that he could take her to a spot where she could take photos for her class project. And then they could catch lobster for lunch and eat them. Um, so they went out into the middle of the ocean and went diving, and then after they were down there for a little bit, the guy she was with got dragged into a cave by some sort of big creature or something. She managed to escape, but the guy, unfortunately, did not, and she got back onto the boat, but then the creature started attacking the boat, and the boat sunk, and then somehow she... Managed to got to get away, and she says it was some some sort of monster. And my my theory here is that it's going to be some kind of big squid. Did you notice this scene where she tried to pull the line? It got pulled back. It was so graphic. Mm-mm. It lacerated her hands. Yeah, and I was like, I was I was actually really shocked. I was not expecting it to no. be that bloody. I was just like, oh, okay. And then all of a sudden, I just see like the the rope turning this like weird copper, and I was like, oh, what is that? And then I'm like, oh my god, it just tore apart her hands. Yeah. And honestly, I was like, wow, Gregor J. Bonin, that you threw me for a loop there. I was not expecting that. Good job. Yeah. Yeah, it was it was more intense than we've seen on Baywatch before. Mm, I feel like we have, but it's the most intense we've seen this season. That is true. That that I can definitely promise. 
Um, while, while Linda's being debriefed, um, a reporter, Kay, who is, as we mentioned earlier, uh, David Hasselhoff's wife in real life, um, heard all of Linda's story and has decided that instead of writing a story about how, uh, drilling for oil offshore is destroying the ocean, she's going to write herself a story about this big, scary sea monster, um, and Devin is not happy about this and is like, hey, this woman just went through a lot of trauma and you should not be, you know, making up rumors and starting a media frenzy. And instead, you should talk about the real issue, which is offshore drilling, which I agree with. I agree. After that, now is when Mitch gets to come in and talk to Linda. Um and, you know, he just checks in, makes sure she's okay. Shirtless, um, because, you know, obviously mm-hmm. the point of this show is for us to um, establish hero figures. And most classic Greek hero figures do not wear shirts. Uh, and as we discussed, Mitch is the modern Poseidon. So, of course, he should be shirtless to represent the, you know, shirtlessness of God Poseidon. And, of course, Linda herself a water nymph would be very interested in god of water poseidon buchanan um so the first thing she says is i remember those eyes now of course we did want her to look a little bit more downwards um not at the eyes maybe more (laughs) at the you know the abs that we Mm -hmm. would like to sniff um Mm -hmm. because that is a 10 out of 10 as we've established before oh yeah um but she does remember those eyes she looks at his eyes and that's because you know, she's got layers to her. She's a she's a layered character. Truly. Yeah, she she really is taken in the sights and I can't say I blame her. No, I can't. But after after making sure she's OK, um, he asks, you know, do you have anyone around? Where are you going? And she says she's here on vacation from Virginia. Fuck and so Virginia. <laughs> It's true. Not not nearly as many good beaches. And also they are super, super strict about speed limit enforcement there. Like if you go um, like 10 miles above the speed limit, there is grounds for impounding your car. Wait, what? Really? Oh, yeah. No, it's like it's a lot there. That's like. Oh, okay. Yeah. I when I drove through Virginia on my way out to Seattle from New York, I set my cruise control at exactly the speed limit on every road I was on. Why not under the speed limit, just in case? Uh, well, because you drive too far under the speed limit, and then that's also suspicious. No, but like three miles per hour under. Yeah, because I wanted to get out of Virginia. It's three <laughs> miles. <laughs> I mean, that's fair. I'm not. I'm not saying that maybe that wouldn't have been a smarter idea, but it is not what I did. It's not what Gregory J. Bonin would have done. Gregory J. Bonin would have risked the law because he is a punk, a mm-hmm. hardcore punk. And the law can't tell him what to do. He's fucking Gregory J. Bonin, bitch. Yeah. Really, you know, when I when I think about my childhood, the the main thing that comes to me is just, you know, how much better my my life would be today if if I'd had a, a real role model like Gregory J. Bonin from a young age. Like I just, you know, I think of all the lifeguard related lessons he could have taught me. And really, I just, you know, I feel like I missed out. 
Random thought. Do you think a bonnet is named after Gregory J. Bonin? I don't see how it could possibly not be. It makes perfect sense to me. Mm-hmm. So Mitch, because he cares so much about Linda and is just generally such a kind and loving person, mm-hmm. says that he'll have a lifeguard take Linda to a hotel and he's going to go check out the spot where she was and and call her once he checks out the cave and is able to, you know, let her know what's going on with it. What's going on, brother? You know, like, like Marvin mm-hmm. Gaye. Yeah, they're going to check it out now. Check it, Funk Soul Brother. <laughs> um, so from here, uh, Mitch and Devin go to the spot where it happened and go diving. Um, they find uh, they find some parts of the boat underwater and do some more exploring around. And eventually, oh, they- let's also add, by the way, mm-hmm. before we forget that Gregory J. Bonin also threw in an amazing line here. So we learned that Devin is a marine biologist, and Mm -hmm. Devin goes on this tirade about how fish are better than humans, and Mitch says, well, fish can't vote. It's true. You're right, Gregory J. Bond. Fish can't vote. And we need to remind them. But also, Devin says, okay, well, you know, I just wanted to be serious, and then Mitch pulls out a knife and a harpoon gun and goes, you call this serious? Ha, ha, ha! I say ha, ha! Gregory J. Bonin, you twist my funny bone yet again. You oh, yeah. salty cur. It's also, the harpoon gun is such a good callback to the uh, to the casino episode, one of our personal favorites. It is, because life is like a watermelon. Sometimes it just grows and grows, and then it pops Due to someone shooting with a harpoon gun. And then you just lay your seeds upon the land to grow new anxiety-filled watermelons. And you you feed the remaining watermelon to the baby that lives in the basement during a storm. Oh, of course. Um, And then you get to make out with Jenny Lewis. True, true. So yeah, after after that wonderful exchange, they, they go diving and find parts of the boat. And then eventually find... The cave and uh, Walt's dead body, who was the man that Linda went on the boat with, and it is they had a he had a name. I believe uh, they mention it once. I'm pretty uh, sure I heard them say Walt. <laughs> uh, sure. After after we get to see the body for for a good couple seconds, uh, Shawnee goes to see Tiana at the hospital, and Tiana, Jordan, and Sarah, their mom. Are there and Sarah says that Shawnee, you saved two lives today. You saved Tiana's and Jordan's because if anything had happened to Tiana, and gives a very threatening look at Jordan because Jordan just won't stop getting in trouble, and mm-hmm. it is it is all his fault that Tiana mm-hmm. almost died um, mm-hmm. because Sarah's just a just a single mother working two jobs and. Simply doesn't have time to watch out for her kids. Yep. But, you know, I like this scene. I think it's saccharine sweet. Yeah. And I like saccharine sweet. That's Because Sarah gives Shawnee the validation she clearly needs from a parent that she is not getting. Again, it accentuates the dichotomy of living situations, of class, of how her rich parents who have everything 
or unwilling to give her the validation she needs to be you know, a person who lives the life sh- the way she wants to. And yet this person she's never met before who lives, you know, in not so great living situations is absolutely willing from the get go to just give her the validation she needs to feel like a human being who does a job that ha- that does a job that, you know, fulfills her life. I honestly think this is a really good scene in that other than the part where, you know, people dying but i'm sure gregory j bonin has you know some vision for the future for uh you know you know killing jordan um which sounds like it should be the sister band of breaking benjamin um (laughs) but i i really do think this scene is uh, honestly like it's simple uh but it, it sets the point which honestly like a lot of what baywatch does really well is it takes a simple kind of topic and theme, and it just does it simply. And you don't always need to be have things to be super layered. Like they don't need to be, you know, fifteen you know episodes leading to one single payoff. Sometimes you can just do a payoff in a single episode of just here's a theme and we cash in on it. In this case, it's like a two parter, but I sure. do really like th- the way that they do address this theme. Yeah, I think I think this was a it was a pretty solid scene. I think I think my personal favorite scene in this episode is the next one, but Oh, agreed, agreed. <laughs> I I do agree. I think I think this was handled pretty sweetly for the most part. Anyone else is sweet? This next scene. Oh boy. Uh we've got a Wait, wait, why are you saying that like you're a are are you upset, Morgan? Don't let the lawyers hear you. No, it's okay. okay. It's okay. We can edit it out. We can do another take. It's cool. It's cool. Okay, it's cool. Okay. Don't worry. Okay. Don't worry. Oh, okay. um, thank God. Okay. Okay. I think we're good. Okay. Try this again. Try this again. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. M- Morgan, you know what else is sweet? Oh, boy, do I, Michael. This next scene is just an absolute masterpiece of some really genius writing. I agree. and dramatically. It really just plays into all sorts of wonderful, wonderful themes and fun little shortcuts because we get a scene now where a bunch of lifeguards are at an adorable little mom-and-pop business, Gregory J. Bonin really just showing how much he cares for the small business community in L.A. Mm -hmm. And... Everyone's having pancakes because what's a better, more American, wholesome breakfast than pancakes? Um, Even if you're having them at lunch. Sure. Listen, you can eat pancakes any time of day. Um, But our primary focal character for this scene, uh, Harvey, I believe his name is, if I'm remembering correctly, just simply cannot get enough syrup. And just is is going around asking every other table if if he can have their bottles of syrup. And I don't know about you, Michael, but this to me felt like the setup to a musical. And I would just like to say, hey, Gregory J. Bonin, if you're ever thinking about doing a Baywatch musical, hit me up. Well, I've done Morgan, quite a few musicals in my day. Morgan, I have some good news for you. Yes. And that is. There is kind of a song that I feel like is thematically linked to this scene. Yeah. And that would be the song Breakfast Syrup by Cray Sean. Now, 
some people say breakfast syrup is a SoCal slang for heroin. However, I say it's breakfast syrup. Mm-hmm. And when Sean says, I got all the syrup, I got I got all the syrup, what? I got all the syrup, what? I got all the syrup, what? I think she's talking about Baywatch. I think so. You see, when Sean was talking, you know, in the song, you know, she she said, I, I mean, we all know the lyrics. I'm, I'm sure you really need me to say them. Of course. But I'm going to just to prove a point. She says... I, I am hungry for this money. Call me Cray Heck No Playboy Bunny. About that juice cheese bread breakfast, stacking dough breakfast. I got all the syrup. I got I got all the syrup. About that juice cheese bread breakfast, stacking dough. She's talking about stacking Baywatch dough because Baywatch made all that money mm-hmm. from all of that syrup. And then, of course, when Two Chains talks about. Beating on that pussy till the sun up. <laughs> you know, he, he's talking about Baywatch. <laughs> yep, absolutely. Couldn't be anything else. You know, because who writes music not about Baywatch? Truly, I and- think the most important piece of legislation that Joe Biden could enact during his term as president is to make it illegal to write music that's not about Baywatch. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I'm sure Gregory J. Bonin had some, if not a large part, probably, you know, some part in this scene. Um, but we do need to describe this scene in full because it's very essential to the episode. So, Morgan, please take us through this scene some more. Absolutely. Once uh, once Harvey has collected all of the syrup and jam from everyone's tables, he drapes himself in one of the tablecloths, and then everyone pours syrup on him. And mm. it uh, it looked significantly more erotic than perhaps I was expecting when I began this episode or even this scene. But I think it just really shows uh, Gregory J. Bonin's mastery of all all of the major visual art styles. I think really it's linking back to Two Chain's part in the song Breakfast Here by Cray Sean when he also says when in Cal- when I'm in California bitch I'm a trying to fornicate. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what he's really alluding to which is this scene. Yeah. Yeah. I honestly I am just amazed that this scene was not scored to uh Skeet Skeet or Hans Zimmer. I mean, whatever that both sure. at the same time. Ooh, you no, know, just, that that I want to hear. I mean, with our Gregory J. Bonin money, we could make that happen. Absolutely. Greg, Greg, call us. Call us. We have some ideas. We have contacts for Hans Zimmer. We can make this happen. You just have to get in contact. We promise we will keep this up for the entire season if you need us to. Just just let us know, please. Um, but yeah, it's a it's a wonderful scene, really. It is. It is. And why why did he pour himself pour himself? Why did <laughs> he have people pour syrup on him? He had people just squirt syrup all over him because uh, Mitch is almost there. As everyone keeps saying over and over again in this scene, how they need all the syrup to squirt all over Harvey 
because Mitch is almost there. And then uh, then Mitch and Hobie show up. And I believe there he is. There he is. <laughs> I believe this is the first time in the episode we see the new Hobie. Yes. Thoughts on the new Hobie. He's he's a very cute kid. <laughs> I, I don't have a lot else to say about him because he unfortunately, at least in part one, does not get a lot to do. But I'm sure it's just, you know, holding back all the good writing for next episode. Absolutely. Absolutely. But the, the reason Harvey has uh, enlisted a bunch of strong men to cover him in sticky syrup is because <laughs> he's going to pretend to be the sea monster that attacked Linda. Um, because Kay decided to go through with writing her article in the paper about how Linda was attacked by a giant mutated jellyfish, Mm. um, which Mitch said to comfort Linda, but was taken out of context because as we all know, Mitch would never say anything so ridiculous. Seriously. He's far too smart and uh, worldly of a man to ever believe in such nonsense. Yeah, stop trying to make him a Simon Legree. Mm-hmm. Exactly. That's and that's the correct context, for <laughs> sure. No one took that out of context. No, sir. After Mitch gets to experience Harvey's sticky syrup, we we get to follow Shawnee for most of the rest of this episode. And the, the first thing I, of course, have to talk about is her absolutely gorgeous 91 Celica. It's the T-180, the, I believe it's the fifth generation. Um, and I don't know how familiar you are with the Celica, Michael, but it is just such a beautiful masterpiece of eighties and nineties JDM little convertibles. I'm sure you are not lying to me. Mm -hmm. That is, that is my knowledge. Mm -hmm. The the biggest thing that you actually wouldn't even think about when you nope. look at a car like that is that it actually uh, was a very successful rally car for quite a while in the 80s. Um, hmm. It, for example, was entered into six different events in Africa from 83 to 86 and won every single one, um, as well as quite a few other events, which was surprising because Toyota was not a, you know, not a company that had a huge rally presence at the time. Would you um, say this car would have been expensive? No, it's actually not especially expensive. That was mm. one of Toyota's big goals with this was they were trying to compete with the Mustang in part on price because um, it wasn't quite as powerful as the Mustang, but mm. it was considerably cheaper and more reliable. Mm. Um, and the the sixth generation of the um, Celica, which was the, the final or the penultimate generation, uh, was featured in almost every single driving video game in the 90s and early 2000s. <laughs> gotcha. That makes sense. I've probably have seen it then. Yeah. You would you would probably recognize the 6th generation Celica. That's the one that was in most of the video games. It's got a very distinctive, very cool look. Um and they still sell for like a lot of money these days and are super popular as like a mod platform. People will build out the engine and do all sorts of supporting mods. And they're, they're really capable little cars for having been discontinued in like 2002, I think somewhere around there. So yeah, that's a, that's my thoughts on, on the Celica and that, that blue color, if nothing else, you got to admit 
That is a oh, great color for a car. It's it's a great color. Um, fantastic. I, I I do love love the look of the car. Oh yeah. Um, but uh, Morgan, you and I agreed before we started this episode that I could take this scene uh, because I just really wanted to talk about absolutely how good this scene is. Yeah. Now some may accuse Baywatch of racism. Sure. However, truly, truly, you cannot be racist if you acknowledge racism, mm-hmm. says Gregory J. Bonin. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also, it's establishing issues that, you know, are due to class and due to to uh, income uh, and also due to race. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if if Baywatch wasn't going to do it, honestly, there were zero... Just zero places on television where you could see black people. There were don't don't even look this up. There were zero places (laughs) on television where you could see black people in the year 1990. Mm -hmm. Um, And Baywatch need to show us that uh, because also nothing exemplifies just the true, you know, cultural issues at hand in America than uh, a blonde Playboy model going to the hood. Mm-hmm. Um, well, now, and, and let's be mm-hmm. honest here, going there with the most noble of intentions, like really just getting in there to to save these poor people from from this horrible life that they've inflicted upon themselves, really. Of course. Uh, so, as I mentioned before, a blonde Playboy model goes to the hood, and there's not a rabbi nor a priest there to finish this joke. <laughs> uh, in fact... Uh, Shawnee arrives in the hood and she has a pony for Tiana. Mm-hmm. Some some dude jumps in front of her car saying that he was going to hit her or that she was going to hit him. And uh, this is just exemplifying how Shawnee is just unawares. Mm-hmm. She's from Brentwood yet again. She's never been to the hood because why would she need to? She's blonde. She's pretty. You know, she's rich. Like, she doesn't need to go to underprivileged areas. And this is truly educating her into, uh, you know, a more holistic person. Some might say a social justice warrior, mm-hmm. for truth. Uh, so a bunch of people crowd around the car, and they tell her, around here, red will make you dead. Um, and I think that's really just them referencing that they love Red Dead. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, the game series, Red Dead Redemption, Red Dead Revolver, Um and so she just really gets confused why everybody's just so into the Red Dead series. Uh, and they're like, we got to get into your car and go to a GameStop and go buy, go buy Red Dead 2. Because she's never played a Red Dead Redemption 2. Yeah. Um, they start driving the car because she's just not getting it. So poor rich Shawnee. Um, she, they end up getting to, you know, uh, to a curb outside Tiana's house uh, because she's like, you know, first I need to go get this thing and then we can go get Red Dead. And they're all like, yeah, cool. Mm-hmm. Um, but then they start pulling at the present because they, they think Red Dead is inside of the box. Um, so they mm-hmm. start undoing the wrapping and it turns out it's a pony for Tiana. Tiana's mom comes out with a pipe because she wants Red Dead. <laughs> uh, so she starts trying to beat them up. Uh, now, the conversation between, you know, the mom and this gang... Not not racist. Definitely. I, I No, no, not not in the slightest. Luckily, the rest of the scene, if you are an intrepid viewer, 
maybe you would think that scene was racist. But this conversation between the mom and this man who um, may or may not be some sort of community group, I guess we would call it, um, community special interest group, uh, is, um, you know, it's, it's just important. So, you know, this guy is like, hey, I need you to come to the meeting on Saturdays and and. She's mm-hmm. like, I don't, I, I can't have you go there. Um, and he's like, no, you come. And then she's like, give me my keys because I need to, I need to go get Red Dead. Uh, and you know, it's just, um, just a really powerful scene from Gregory J. Bonin allowing the nerds of the world to unite and just be fans of Red Dead. Just a great game series. Yeah, I think, I think I could not possibly have summed that up any differently or any better than what you just did honestly i think the lawyers of gregory j bonin who i, I don't know why i would bother really bringing them up yeah no i mean there's no us. they have no relation to anything that we're doing right now so like why why would we even need to mention them or make sure that we placate them successfully during this episode like of, you know of course of course but if they were if they were needed mm-hmm. uh i think they would think of that as a suitable very very suitable explanation of every single bit of just acting that happens in that scene absolutely absolutely and so let's never reference that again yep. because we already did mm-hmm. and let's move on i like that plan uh next uh next we get a little scene where Kay shows up to mitch's office to pretend to apologize to him for running the story and offer to print a retraction, but really she's just trying to get him to tell her what the monster is. And then Mitch doesn't know, and so Kay is like, well, that means it's got to be something dangerous, so I'm going to run another story about it. Right, and she's really really also protecting him. Mm -hmm. I mean, because the the story's going to get out anyway, so might, might as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Exactly. She's really just, you know, she's doing her job trying to make sure the public is protected from whatever scary thing is in the water. Of course. Uh, after that, we get a, a little scene with Eddie and Shawnee where Eddie uh, Eddie's trying to tell Shawnee, hey, it sounds like maybe your decision to go visit Tiana and her family maybe wasn't such a great idea and uh, you should you should know better than to wear red in uh, in that neighborhood. And then he says, hey, next time you go there, make sure to bring me with you. And Shawnee says, don't worry, I'm I'm going to go back. But it's it's just so that I can pay for Tiana and Jordan to go to a better school where they'll be able to get away from their neighborhood. And, you know, I can I can really just protect and save them. Yeah. Also in the same scene, I feel like it's very important to mention that Shawnee explicitly says that she is good at sex. And I feel like that's very important. Yes. Um, <laughs> that's very important. Mm-hmm. Period. Yeah. New sentence. <laughs> uh, yes. Shawnee wants to help the kids. Mm-hmm. Period. New sentence. Eddie says he wants to do something for her, which is a new technique and mouth to mouth. Period. New sentence. <laughs> yes, I I genuinely really loved the line about, hey, I'm going to teach you a new mouth to mouth technique. And the two of them flirt a little bit and then they make out. And it's it's kind of sweet. 
Kind of sweet. I mean, it is very sweet. If any lawyers are listening to this, which of course they wouldn't be because (laughs) why, why would they? Why would lawyers be listening? Yeah. (laughs) Um, So then we have our final scene, uh, which is a a fishing boat is out in the water and they're, they're putting down their nets and they, they catch whatever monster is, is down there in their nets and it, it starts pulling down the boat, so they call into Lifeguard HQ and report that there's something attacking their boat, and they're battening down the winches and doing all sorts of boat things, and then, <laughs> just as the boat's starting to be dragged underwater, we get a cliffhanger. It's time next week for part two of Nightmare Bay. And it's a very dramatic cliffhanger where we're not sure what's going to happen next episode. Oh, spooky. Oh, wait, this is an eclipse. Never mind. Um, (laughs) So, Morgan, if you could rate this episode, Mm -hmm. which I'm sure you can, um, on a scale of one to ten, where one is... You're walking along a beach and you're stepping on some wet sand and there's twigs and there's maybe little, you know, needles there. Uh, and maybe there's like some cultural oppression. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then 10 is sniffing Mitch's abs. Where would you rate this? Well, Michael, I was actually thinking, you know, since this is season two, why don't why do we mix things up a little bit? I'd love to hear your rating first. Oh, well, you know. I thought long and hard about this episode because when I watched this episode, I needed to sit down and I needed to take some time to really just process everything. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot was kind of thrown in my face. Um, and sometimes I think maybe it was intended to, um, in sort of like a Brechtian way, uh, help me acknowledge that I was in fact watching a TV show out of me pulled into it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that aggressive nature helps you then identify the, the themes of the plot that are being presented to you. And honestly, I think Gregory J. Bonin is just a visionary. Oh, without question. Um, there's never been anyone like him, nor will there ever be anyone mm-hmm. else like him. Um, and... I kind of went through a bit of withdrawal. I watched this episode and I tried to go about my day. I tried to do my job and I wasn't able to really do anything but think about mm-hmm. you know, this this show. You know, I, I tried to go on Pornhub and <laughs> no, nothing worked. I was just thinking about, yeah, about God, the, the raw eroticism of Harvey being covered in sticky syrup from a bunch of men. not even that. Not even that. I was thinking about cultural oppression and, you mm-hmm. know, the issues of race and the issues of income inequality. And I thought, wow, Gregory J. Bonner has really opened my eyes to something I truly never acknowledged before because leftist politics has no opinions on income inequality or race issues. Not, it just doesn't. Not a one. Not one. Uh, not one opinion. Uh, not not a single income. Nope. And so I think this is maybe the most important episode of television mm-hmm. we've ever been made. Um, and that is why I am giving it the rare 10 
out of 10 sniffing Mitch's abs extravaganza. Mm. Let me sniff that thing Mm. up like it's, let me sniff that up like it's Oregon and drugs are legal. Let me just (laughs) sniff that up all the time. Let me just sniff that up. Uh, And uh, I'm going to have me a very, a very fun time sniffing all that up. Oh, yeah. Uh, Morgan, were you the same? Well, well, Michael, you see, that's actually that is the one area where you and I differ, um, because I agree with everything you just said. You know how how incredible Gregory J. Bonin is. You know, he's a he's really a a cross between a legend and a hero. Like, you know, Mm. if I had to if I had to sum that up in one word, I would say he's a Lego. Like, it's Mm. just you just have to find some way to mash those two concepts together and I mean, really, when I think about it, like, not only is this the greatest piece of media that I've ever seen, I truly don't understand how anyone could ever produce a piece of media I would enjoy more. And so, Michael, right. I'm I'm actually going to give this an 11 out of 10 and say <gasps> that this is truly a transcendental experience. This is not just sniffing Mitch's abs. This is being surrounded by a circle of Mitches and sniffing all of their abs at once. Oh, wow. Wow. I, I can't even fathom that. I, I think when they talk about in Buddhism Nirvana, mm-hmm. I think that this is what they're talking about. That or, you know, when they get high in train spotting, mm-hmm. uh, it's, I, I always get Nirvana and train spotting confused. <laughs> um, it's, it's just a thing I do. Everyone knows about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but wow, that sounds amazing. Yeah. It's what can I say? Really and truly, Gregory J. Bonin is a genius. And I, by saying this, am fulfilling any legal obligation that I may or may not have. Of course. Yes. Now that everybody is you know inundated with um, our thoughts mm-hmm. on this, uh, I would like to talk about what happens in part two of the greatest story ever told. Yes, Nightmare please. Bay. Just when the media, oh, this is the IMDb description. Just when the media frenzy about the so-called creature in the bay subsides, the unseen sea monster attacks again by sinking a fishing trawler, Mitch. And Devin Connor, a fellow lifeguard and environmental activist, suspect more about the mysterious attacks. While K.A. Morgan investigates an offshore oil company's rights for drilling and thinks there is a connection between the company and the creature in the bay. Meanwhile, Linda lusts after Mitch Shetter having dinner at his house. Which, I mean, that's fair. If I were to eat dinner at his house, I would be lust. I don't even need dinner. I just always am lusting after Mitch. Like... Hot damn. Shawnee tries to get Jordan and Tiana's mother to let them join a lifeguard youth group to keep Jordan off the streets, while she also finally comes to terms with their stern father. Now, Morgan, mm-hmm. I think you're very much going to like this next sentence. Ooh. And not just because there's a typo and they say Campton Thorpe. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, also, Captain Thorpe finally gets... The first scarab motorboat for Baywatch. And helps Mitch and Devin solve the mystery of the creature in the bay. Oh boy, I can't wait. Sounds like a truly exceptional follow-up to this masterpiece of an episode. 
It is truly a masterpiece. And, you know, one of the things I worry about about Baywatch is I just don't think it will ever meet these heights. Like, I know there were interviews with David Hasselhoff talking about how as the show, you know, got on, they started having more space to talk about more adult themes and talk about social issues. But honestly, I don't think there's any point to discuss social issues after you initially bring them up the first time. Because mm-hmm. everybody has seen it. They take it in. They're just like, I get it now. We fixed everything. Yeah. Um, which is why I do not acknowledge the movie Friday as existing, um, <laughs> because none of the things presented in it need to exist because they already presented them here in yeah. this. The first time that black people were on television mm-hmm. in this show. So, uh, again, thank you, Gregory J. Bonin. Um, tonight, I'm just going to be jerking it to this. <laughs> Too far. You know we're leaving that in, right? Of course I I Of course I do. <laughs> oh, God. Um, before, before we do go, Morgan, mm-hmm. uh, I would also like to just point out that, you know, we are here in season two and, um, we have some great stuff coming up in season two. Mm-hmm. We have more guests on the show, some new, some new guests, um, coming up who I'm very excited to be having on the show. We have new themes, obviously it's a whole new season. So we have all new sorts of stuff to get into, um, but honestly, one of the great things about season two is the fact that now we're really truly realizing we're in this for the long haul. Mm-hmm. And I'm so excited. Yeah. Uh, clearly because all the episodes, you know, are, but they might not all be as good as this because this is the crowning achievement of, of media. Of course. Uh, but they're all, the episodes of Baywatch are better than any, any other show to have ever existed. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, uh, I'm really excited to watch this show because I'm just so much more invested in it after having watched, you know, 22 episodes of Baywatch and talked about it so much. And now we're continuing with it. Forget about it. Yeah. Um, I'm so excited and I'm excited. All of you are here with us on this journey that totally does not involve any sort of legal ramification. Nope. Not a single one. Yep. So yeah, I think uh, I think that pretty well sums up my my thoughts on all of this. Michael, did you have any any final thoughts you wanted to get out there on this here uh, masterpiece of an episode? Um, everybody should listen to Krayshawn's song "Breakfast Syrup." Um, it's also the greatest song ever made. Yeah, you know, just uh, be be cool to each other. <laughs> As as we always say, be cool to each other. <laughs> yes. Particularly <laughs> if you happen to be a lawyer who is listening to this podcast. Um, but why Parker Stevenson, don't sue us. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess uh I guess then all that's left to say is thank you all so much for listening to this episode of Baywatch Rookie School. If you want to find us on Twitter, our show handle is at rookie school pod. I'm at Morgan P. Thrap. I'm at Snotsnit, S-N-O-T-S-N-I-T. And we'll see you next week. And just remember, hips, lips, and fingertips. But in a legal way. Mm-hmm.
All right. So do you think you think that was good enough? You think we got it? Do we need to do any more takes? I think I, I, I think I, 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 hope I, that's I think okay. we're good. I mean, all the guidelines that they gave us, we seem we met all of them. I know we mentioned his name enough times. I think like I'll have to during the edit process, go through and count them all. But it should be plenty. I mean, if not, we can always place in some footage, I guess. But like it, it's, it's got to be I'm fine, really right? worried. We'll be fine. I'm, we'll be fine. We'll be fine. I'm really worried about the next episode. Oh, I mean, we, we kind of got everything know, out of the way know, now. Know, but like, what are we going to do next episode when it comes to everything? Oh, we have to talk about, God. you know, Gregory J. Bonnet more and I'm really just mm-hmm, concerned about mm-hmm. it all and I don't really know what to do and I think he's just going to maybe, maybe go suicide. we're going to go out of business so I'm going to add it. Morgan I can't yeah no I know I, I know I know I know I know I think I think if we just I think if we just tell them that this was the final episode and then we like I I don't know we'll figure it out we'll figure it out next week we've got a whole week to figure it out it'll be fine it'll be fine we'll, we'll Morgan just it. stay low until then just yeah. stay low yeah. don't don't just close your shades mm-hmm, close mm-hmm, your goddamn mm-hmm. shades 